It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Economist. In London, this is The Economist. I'm Lane Green, the Deputy Books and Arts Editor of The Economist, and with me today to talk about his new book is Oliver Morton, the Essays and Briefings Editor of The Economist. The book is called The Planet Remade, How Geoengineering Could Change the World. Oliver, a lot of books have something about changing the world in the subtitle, but your topic is about changing the world rather literally. Geoengineering is making physical changes to what you call the Earth system in order to either slow or to reverse climate change. And you come to this through two questions that were posed by the physicist Robert Sokolow. First of all, do the risks of climate change merit serious action? And second, is reducing the industrial world's carbon dioxide emissions to near zero very difficult? How do the two answers to those two questions lead you to geoengineering? They lead you to think about geoengineering because I think that you have to answer both of them yes. There are real risks from climate change, even if you think that climate change might turn out to be not so bad as people say, and there are people who hold this view. It's very hard and I think actually indefensible to say that it is certain not to turn out badly. And so you need to take the risks of climate change seriously. And you need to look around you and see that actual reduction of carbon dioxide in a large way is difficult. Now, that doesn't mean it's impossible. Then you have to start thinking about different ways, different sorts of approaches. And one set of approaches, the ones that I chose to to focus on, are the approaches where you see, well, what else could we do to the climate as well as not putting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere? And so that's the That's the technical starting point for this sort of discussion. And why is this discussion coming to be taken more seriously now? The ideas of geoengineering are not brand new. Some of them have been around for several decades. But you say that they're now going to be taken more seriously by more mainstream scientists, something that used to be on the relative fringes of the discussion. Well, it's very interesting. In the in early on in the discussion of man-made climate change, geoengineering was kind of central to the discussion. It was what people imagined in the 1960s and 70s when people were first talking about these things. Not many people thought that the response to the growing risks that they saw from carbon dioxide would necessarily be to change the fundamental industrial infrastructure of the entire world economy. And they looked at things that are other things that you might do. And that was where the term geoengineering first came into use in, in this particular context. And then once this became a significant mainstream political effort, that discourse got really shut down because anything that's not helping you reduce carbon dioxide is seen as hindering you at the reduction of carbon dioxide. And for various reasons over the last five years, people have been looking at those two questions you cited. Are these risks real? Can we actually get rid of the carbon dioxide? Deciding that, you know, the situation looks bad. And so there's a certain tendency to look back at geoengineering and find that there are some forms of geoengineering which, while they require a great deal of research to be turned into technical solutions that someone could actually advocate, are certainly worth doing that research on. 
Well, let's talk about some of those technologies specifically. Some of them are fairly exotic. We're talking about things like spraying aerosols into the stratosphere or brightening the clouds or encouraging the growth of certain kinds of plankton. Which of these do you think are particularly promising and why? I think the one that gets the most focus is the idea of putting aerosols into the stratosphere. And aerosol here just means um, a, a little floaty particle of matter. And the reason why I think this one probably gets the most attention and probably deserves the most attention is that there's a very clear geophysical analogue in what happens after a volcanic eruption. And you do have these analogues in volcanic eruptions, which, while not perfect, tell us a, a certain amount about how the Earth system responds to that. Something like brightening clouds, again, they're natural analogues. Clouds get brighter when you put more what's called condensation nuclei into the, in, in, into the air over the oceans. That's interesting too, but there you have the question that you're necessarily setting up a somewhat patchy effect. And that's much harder because you'll only be brightening clouds in some areas. And that's quite hard to model. And it's quite hard to be to have the same level of confidence in what the effects might be compared to that of putting a very thin veil of uh, aerosols into the stratosphere. Some climate change activists have already said that emitting so much carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases is a kind of large-scale, uncontrolled and, and dangerous experiment with the climate. And critics of geoengineering say that you're proposing essentially to try another experiment to undo uh, the, the, the catastrophic damage of the previous experiment. How do geoengineering advocates answer this criticism that this is, uh, this is potentially playing with unintended consequences? Unintended is and unanticipated are two different things, um, and I think it's worth it, it, it's worth bearing that in mind. The effects of carbon dioxide on the atmosphere are both unintended, and that by and large, the reason that people burn carbon dioxide is not to change the uh, climate. Though, and they were unanticipated. I think that's not a particularly good analogy to geoengineering, where you are actually aiming for a specific effect. You're not quite sure how well you can bring it about. And I think that to say that, you know, two wrongs don't make a right, you can't pollute your way out of this, you can't solve a problem with the same thinking that got you into it, is A, slightly to misunderstand that we didn't think our way into this problem, we burned our way into this problem. And it's also, in fact, historically not true. Almost all big solutions to things come with problems that then need further solutions. When the topic of geoengineering comes up, are you, do you think that there are misperceptions that people have that these solutions are either larger scale or are more dangerous or more irreversible than they actually are? I'm not sure about misperceptions. I think the idea of geoengineering is an extremely momentous one. It has implications on a planetary scale and over centuries. So, yeah, I don't think anyone would claim this is a small thing. I think there's an over-eagerness. There's a way in which people anticipate that it will necessarily be a disaster. But I think there is a general sense that almost any intervention in the Earth system is catastrophic. And I don't think that that's a necessary aspect of geoengineering. I can imagine catastrophic geoengineering programs, but I don't think that that's the only way to imagine a geoengineering program. You say that geoengineering has moved a lot closer to the scientific mainstream, but the people who would eventually carry out any such projects would be political decision makers in the end. How close are the political decision makers to considering serious geoengineering projects? I think basically not close. I think closeness to the degree of not at all. Again, most politicians who take a strong interest in climate from what you might see as a fairly traditional green approach and really want to see it in terms of um, emitting less, and that is a good goal. What I'm saying is that while emitting less is a good goal, you have to bear in mind that it may not be either a practical or sufficient goal, 
and you need to be looking at more options. Is there a danger that, given that a lot of climate scientists feel that we're looking at serious feedback effects, that climate change may not just be happening, but its very effects are accelerating climate change itself, that there's not a lot of time to consider the kind of ambitious projects that geoengineering entails? Well, if that's true, in fact, you might reverse that and say, at this point, geoengineering becomes more important. If you really, really think that there are feedbacks just around the corner that are very worrying... There's no way that you can address those through reducing the amount of carbon dioxide emission because reducing the amount of carbon dioxide emissions doesn't even begin to have an effect on the temperature for decades. If you actually want to do something that changes the climate in the near term, geoengineering is more or less your only option. Now, I don't actually subscribe to a, to a rhetoric of great urgency. It's not necessary to focus Uh, as I think the green movement sometimes does, on the very near term, on the idea that there's catastrophe just around the corner. But if there was a catastrophe just around the corner, I'd be saying you should be taking this even more seriously than I'm already saying you should be taking it. Thanks very much, Oliver. That was Oliver Morton, The Economist's Essays and Briefings Editor, talking to me about his new book, The Planet Remade, How Geoengineering Could Change the World. It's been long-listed for the Samuel Johnson Prize, comes out from Granta this month in the United Kingdom, and from Princeton University Press in America in November. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.